Hello, and welcome to the Get Snatty Podcast, the third episode. My guest today is Frank Greenagle, a dear old friend of mine, <clears throat> a drug counselor who's done work for the New York State Police and, a, and is for the U.S. Army, uh, and a policy expert on drugs. And Frank, what did I leave out? Uh, I teach at Rutgers. I have a private practice. I work for a nonprofit. We have a school for uh, kids in New Jersey who have uh, drug and alcohol problems and are trying to seek recovery. There's other stuff, but that's enough. It's a, it's, does drug stuff, helps people with drugs. Uh, Frankie is uh, one of my dearest and oldest friends. We are very close, uh, and it like makes me feel genuinely good that people like Frankie are out there uh, genuinely trying to help people. <clears throat> so, Frankie used to be a, uh, when we met, we were both, I guess the word is drunks. Uh, what led you? Inebriates. Inebriates, like that. Degenerates, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, what led you to, um, you know, seeking sobriety? Give a you know, one minute little little story. I um, I got in trouble a lot uh, with the law, and uh, even before I was uh, abusing alcohol, uh, even really before drinking alcohol, I was sent to drug and alcohol counseling because I got in trouble for stealing booze from my neighbors, which I was looking to sell. Um, and. Uh, I had to go to therapy and such, and then I got in more and more trouble, and every time I got in trouble, uh, booze was involved, and uh, uh, my mom, my mom was on a real kick that I had an alcohol problem, and my high school girlfriend was on a real kick that I had an alcohol problem, and uh, long and the short of it was, I was sent to a rehab where there's juvenile, other juveniles there, and I didn't identify with any of them, but the adults all talked about how destroyed marriages, destroyed credit scores, flaming car crashes, uh, all, all, you know, all kinds of health problems. And uh, I remember thinking that um, I, c I could see where it was going. Now, I kept drinking and drugging for another year and a half. What really did it was, the, the, the single moment that really did, and there's a, there's a long education process of getting in trouble and counseling, but the single moment where I recognized I had an alcohol problem was March 17, 1995. I was, at a, uh, I was at a course for people with a DWI. I uh, got a DUI when I was 17. It's a baby DUI. And... Um, I, uh, everyone in the room had to go around and introduce himself, and the first person said, uh, it was bullshit, the cops are out to get me, I don't have a drinking problem, uh, and I was like, yeah! Uh, and then the second person said the same thing, and the fifth person was a woman, she said the same thing, and I had this pit in my stomach, where I was like, shit, every 14 people here have a DWI, none of us think we have problems. Clearly, all, all of us have problems. And so I drank for another nine months, but I knew at that point, and so it was just a matter of time before it was over. <clears throat> um, my story is less... Like, somehow, I remember you, like, maybe we were like 28 or 30. We're both 46 now. Um, we made the... I, I, Frank made the point to me when we were like 30. He's like, sometimes I think you'll be able to just drink the rest of your life. Because for whatever reason, somehow, I always avoided getting into having massive consequences by way of the law. Like, somehow never got a D DWI. Somehow. Like, I did everything I could well, to get one. I, I, think, I think part of it was... I think part of it was is that there was myself and Frazier who... Frazier was like an 11-11 on the... For a diagnostic criteria, and I was 10 of 11. He was a, so that's our friend who died that's our friend who passed away. And so, like, the... Um, you know, so the fact that you had these, so it's like hard to recognize that you had, I mean, you knew he had an issue, but it's also at the same time, it's like, you're not like in and out of jail or in and out of rehab or having these problems. Like you're able to like get by. It wasn't great, certainly, um, but you're able to get by. I and mean, you could always be like, well, I'm not Frazier, I'm not Frank. Right. Or it just could have been one of the millions or even billions of people who just kind of walk through life with a manageable or unmanageable uh, right. 
drinking problem. I mean, there was the episode where you lost your father's car in New York City yes. for weeks, but that's probably a separate Natty episode, which really you guys all need to hear about one day. Don't yeah, I, I've yet to mine uh, my horrific drinking stories, horrifically hilarious drinking very stories good. for content, but I'm not ready to share yet with the with the, with the outside world. But sneak peek, <clears throat> you know, the Boston Mercedes in New York City. Our, yeah. Our, it was a 1969 Mercedes. It wasn't like a new one, but but still, it, it was in fact it was a, a classic. Mercedes. Makes that even worse. Classic. Anyway. My, it was, my dad collected those, like, old Mercedes. We're going to We're going to okay. yeah. No one needs my life story. That's the time for another podcast, Natty's Drinking Stories. Um, the thing with Frazier, and Frazier died at 27. This might be, like, specious reasoning, but you hear about all the 27, the magic year, when the, when the rock stars died. Like, Frazier was always someone, you know, and we, we both had problems. Even when we were, we were actively using together, using drugs and drinking. But you always just knew that was someone with that, like extra gear that you know we were both devastated when we learned he passed but can you say you were surprised no there was a mixture of and I've talked about this with other people who have experienced this there was a mixture of both surprise and relief yeah um I mean there was a mixture there was a mixture of surprise there was a mixture of relief but then also (coughs) surprise that you would know someone that died but at the same time I mean yeah he lived very fast very hard and I, I was never that interested in learning, like, a toxicology report or what it was. It's like, what do you mean? This body just from years of, like, if I had to put my finger on anything, I would say it was booze. Apparently he was, he had snicked heroin that, that night. Um, but but my guess would be, and it just never even mattered because, like, what got him is what got him. But my guess, I guess, would be, like, acute alcohol. Well, I got, a, I got a different story from Catherine. That's but, a, but, but whatever. I've heard, I've heard yeah, that yeah. stuff. It's like you're looking for a reason to make it justify, right? But like that, that was going to happen, right. right? That's why I heard okay. all the stuff she said, and it's right. like, you know, it's not going to bring him back, and there's no like justice to be found here. Right. Anyway, about the experience with him, there was something you wanted to mind. There was something you wanted to talk about with that. It was it, there is a, a something I could always look and say, well, I'm not like that, and like when, when I was drink, I was a, a heavy, heavy drinker. Um, but I was never, I was someone who would get blotto, even at my worst, I'm someone who would get blotto five times a week. Um, I was never someone, like, there's people who develop, like, a physical addiction to alcohol. And they would wake up and drink. Have to wake up and drink. I just never, never, never had that. Which so I was like, rationalize that. Well, which is interesting, because so many people have these, who told me, well, I don't wake up in the morning and drink. I'm like, you don't have to. They're like, you don't, I don't have shakes. I'm like, you don't have to have shakes. They're like, well, I don't have hallucinations. I'm like, you know, those are all really late stage things. And a lot of right. people miss, are misinformed on that, because like, well, because they say they don't do those things. I'm like, that's only like horrific late stage things. Well, I, I didn't need to have those DTs, DTs and all that to have alcohol like ruin my life. And, you know, the way I always describe it, like, when I look back on it, it wasn't even like tragic or like uh, it wasn't even as like uh, salacious and terrible as you might think. It was mostly just sad. It's just someone walking through life with, uh, you know, like, like like having to walk through mud to get anything done. Like anything, anything I want to wanted to accomplish or do. Tupper's Tupper's friend TJ put it. Uh, he had described it as um, Love me some teach. a holding pattern that he was in a plane. That was just always circling and never landing. Never took off and went anywhere. Never landed and finished. It was just hovering, hovering, hovering. Because he had no pathetic crashes. There was no huge problems. It was just everything was kind of lame and sad. 
Yeah, and like what finally led me to get get sober, and there was an incident there, which we won't get into. But really, it was just like I'm 37 years old. I'm 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 bartending. What does this look like in 15 years? Like, what are you doing? Um, so you know, yeah. Um, and you had examples. You there was not just me, but there's other people you knew who it had worked for, and so you had had that evidence for a long time. I always knew that that is true because I remember when I was 25, I like tried to get sober. Mm-hmm. I always kind of knew eventually, like the bill was going to come due, and, I, and I'd you have saw, to. And you saw, you saw, you saw me, you saw tougher, you saw others have like good, happy lives, and so you knew it was, you knew it was possible. Yeah, and, and honestly, it, it, the the reason I had to quit alcohol is because with me, when alcohol's around, cocaine isn't far behind, and it's just like you know. It, I could understand even when I was a drinker, like cocaine is bad, cocaine's expensive, cocaine is horribly damaging to your life. And like you could I could be sitting there even like six months before I decided to, to quit drinking. You'd be sitting there at two o'clock on a Wednesday and be like, Oh, I don't want to do cocaine. Like well, I'm not gonna go to do cocaine. But you put two drinks in me, three drinks in me, and it's off the races. I'm gonna go do some cocaine. So it's like I couldn't even now and it's like I don't, since I've got so much time, like alcohol doesn't, alcohol is not something that worries me about like relapsing with, because I just think about the consequences of it, the hangovers, the shame, just like the wreckage in your life. But when I think about cocaine, what I think about is like the dopamine hit. Um, and and the, you know what I mean? Like I think about like, like cocaine, if I like fantasize about cocaine, it's I, I fantasize about like, the feeling it gives you, like the happiness chemical. Is there other things in your life that give you that? Oh yeah, I, I don't. I'm just I'm just saying I can tell like there's like a when I think about alcohol, I'm like, oh I had good times that time, and I did have a lot of great times. But cocaine, alcohol. you think about super powerful rush, right? And it's like if I don't want to get there again, like have to, I, I can't do that. So that's something that I'm. There was a guy when I got sober. There was a guy who talked about that um, he knew that he couldn't drink without driving. And he knew that if he drove drunk, he would get DUIs, and he didn't want to be in trouble with the law anymore. And so it wasn't it wasn't so much the drinking; it was the drinking and driving, the legal trouble that got him to stop. And again, there's other stuff, obviously, but it's it's it was good logic. A thing that I always find fascinating, and maybe it's because of self esteem issues or something. Whenever people are like, "Oh, you you haven't had a drink in nine years, congratulations," people seem to think it's a matter of willpower. And it's like, if it were a matter of willpower, I'd, I'd be drunk. You know, like, I, I could go to any corner and buy a beer. It's it, it, What I always say is, it's very easy not to do something that you don't want to do. Um, what about early on now? Because now, now you're in the rhythm, right? Like, I, don't, I haven't thought about a drink or a drug in 24, 25 years, but like the... Um, but early on, because the habit's formed, right? Like, so your life's without it. You can celebrate, you can commiserate. You can laugh, you can do these things without it. But the thing is, like, early on, it's such a habit that I think it's incredibly hard to break. I remember, well, I remember two moments. One, when I had maybe nine months, and I was sitting at someone's house. Are you still living down in Freehold? Or? No, 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 no. I, I, was, I was up around here. Um, I was sitting at someone's house by the liquor cabinet. I was there, they needed me to get something. And, like, there's their liquor, their liquor cabinet right there. I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I'm just doing a pop of whiskey right now. And, like, I, I kind of wanted to do it. I almost did I'm like, now you know where that leads, and I walked away. Now I don't even get that. And actually, 
twice in the last year and a half. I've, like, I've been out with Josh and grabbed their drink by mistake and took a gulp. And it was like, oh, don't want that. And like, it, it almost, I don't want to say it's a good thing, but it's almost like a good thing because it's like... You were repulsed by it. You weren't like, oh, this is awesome. I wasn't even re- repulsed. It was like, I don't do that. And like, yeah, it, it wasn't like... I guess maybe if that happens when you've been sober, when you haven't had a drink for six months, maybe that's thing. But I almost like look at the almost were like kind of interesting things that happened to me. Um, but here's the uh, the Jerry Springer moment that is something I haven't revealed to you. Former mayor of Chicago, huh? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's crazy. I have, and I've never told you this, which has been a lie by omission. You're about to tell me something. Yeah, that I've never heard before. Yes, I've never told you before. On camera. Because, you know, I'm a whore for interesting content. He is. For the last three years, I have been what you would call abusing marijuana from time to time. Oh, Ryan told me about that. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh. He heard you say something one time. And so Ryan's like, hmm, I think he's doing that. Yeah, I've I've talked about it with other people. Oh, there there goes my moment. Um, The thing is... Hard to get something by a good drug counselor. Oh, well, I, I was saying, you're, you're laughing at me. I was like, I thought this was going to be like a furious. I don't know if Frankie was going to be mad or whatever. Um, the thing is, recently though, which might go, so in the la- since my mom died, I noticed I was using more and more of it. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely, the way, my, my mom died last April. The ways I realized that I've been coping with it have been... Uh, finding pleasure in food, put on 20-some-odd pounds since then. Another one was was uh, eating marijuana edibles more often, which is exacerbated by it being, like, legal and ubiquitous. Like, you go to a corner store and they have, like, marijuana gummies. <clears throat> um, but I, I stopped about a month ago because it was just making me, like, lazy or, like, like... Uh, not even like in like a destructive way as much as like not like drinking but like just like like when I go to the gym I do the bare minimum you know what I need to do to like maintain strength so, be like, what, was marijuana why you want to always see movies in Jersey City and not drive that back out to Morris County because no, no, no I've never been no you don't like a drug no and like at no point was I ever like you know who knows what a pothead is but like I'm talking Maybe over the last, since my mom died, I was doing it, eating edible two or three times a week. Edibles became your thing more so than like smoking it or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like, you know, I never like enjoyed the high that much. And like, I'm not sitting here saying like, I'll never do it again, but it just doesn't interest me. And like, it, it didn't quite become like a destructive problem, but it's like. It just made you lazy. Yeah, and I'd be doing like, and like with my fledgling career as a influencer or entertainer or whatever like it doesn't help the work ethic too no because like no one's no one's going to be telling you like correct you better put that video up you better edit it especially with getting it with uh, getting a youtube off the ground which is very time time intensive because i you know i've been working you know I've been, this is actually my 20th year of working um with people with drug and alcohol issues and you know I've done high school that I worked at I worked at Rutgers for a long time and I work with a lot of young adults and people come to me like well it's, you know it's legal it's not that bad it's not the convenient kind of overdose <coughs> and like the you know the two biggest um, the two biggest side effects uh, from it there's a physiological side effect and a psychological side effect and the, the physiological side effect is that people start having problems sleeping they have problems going to sleep or staying or staying asleep and uh, once they start using marijuana to fall asleep uh, it becomes almost 
uh, it becomes much more difficult to fall asleep without marijuana. So there's so many people who smoke at night. <coughs> the other thing it does is that it really does sap. It really does lead to a motivational issue. That, that's 100 percent true. You can and be the biggest marijuana advocate on earth. You are. You are. You're just flat out lying. Have you ever done marijuana? Um, and you know, I, I, I'm probably more bullish on marijuana, for lack of a better word, than you are. Absolutely. I think it's fine that it's legal. I think it's much preferable people to do that than to drink, for instance. Um, but yeah, if someone wants people like a lot of marijuana advocates want to act like it has no consequences, which it's like, come on, player. Um, you know, and there are like deeper consequences too. Like, oh, someone gets high in the Funyuns, big deal. No, I was a little worried that. And like, and do, you know, do you want me to address any of that stuff? Address any of what? Some of the, the social, the social and legal issues and health issues we're having from it. Uh, actually, I would because you, you're someone who, who was advocating against. I, I've always been against the legalization, but I've been pro decriminalization because I don't want to see people lose a job or kicked out of school. I don't want to see pe- I don't want to see people get arrested and locked up. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to see it cause like all kinds of problems, especially the problems that come to much more poor people and much more more minorities, which is very very clear. Uh, but if you, but if which ultimately is about how much money people have to pay lawyers in, in, right. in uh, deal with uh, the well, legal well, system. Uh, partly right, and then but part of it's just like straight up racism. Um, yes. But then, uh, but so decriminalizing it, that you kind of take some of that stuff away. So my issue with legalizing it, that it just becomes so socially acceptable. And one of the things we saw ten years ago. Uh, so we're now in the we're now in the um, Colorado and Washington state uh, both passed. Uh, uh, they passed um, voter referendums to legalize marijuana in November of 2012, which made it legal in the, uh, legal for people to recreationally use over over 21 starting January 1st, 2014. Um, and uh, there was a bunch of there was a bunch of reasons it was pushed for, and I was very much against uh, seeing it become seeing it become uh, legal because the idea was it would become so socially acceptable. And I remember that first year of it, there was a report that came out of Hazelton Betty Ford that uh, 75% of people 18 to 25 thought marijuana caused no harm. Um, and so the, the, by having it legal, by pushing it as a wondrous drug for 255 diagnoses in California that people could get medicinal marijuana, um, it was saying that not only does it not cause harm, but it's like good there for wellness. And so when you put that out there, uh, it leads well, to much more use. There are, in fact, a few like therapeutic uses for it, like cancer patients and stuff, it's well, less wearing care on the body than well, other things. Well, so, so the, the thing I've always supported was that with like I'll agree that they, stage 4 cancer, HIV, yeah. AIDS, wasting syndrome, glaucoma, I'm not going to argue with people in hospitals, I'm not going to argue with people smoking marijuana, where it becomes is like someone has seasonal affective disorder or social anxiety um, or PTSD, which there just isn't evidence for that. There's some other stuff for some, rare, there's some CBD issues. There's some CBD applications for some rare seizure disorders, but anyway, the, the, the clarification I'm making is he can poo-poo the the therapeutic uh, right. uses for it without saying that that doesn't mean he's saying there are no therapeutic uses. So, just that that a lot of advocates vastly push it across the and even irresponsibly overstate them. The um, and so like the big thing, the big thing is well, there's a bunch of things. One, it was supposed to be like revenue very positive, and what we're seeing is that it's revenue negative for the states. Like so, New I Jersey, find that shocking. New Jersey got about three hundred million dollars, but and everyone out there sounds like three hundred million dollars sounds very good, but three hundred million dollars doesn't even cover a third of the New York school budget. It doesn't even pay to like repave the New Jersey Turnpike. Uh, or pay, repave 78. Uh, and so that, it's, it's, a, it's a tiny, tiny drop of the... Like, the New Jersey budget is $50 billion this year. Um, $300 million is 
a tiny, it's just, it's, it's, it's an infinitesimal part of 1%. Um, so that part's not there. The social justice issue really was the, the big thing, though, is that you don't want to see people um, arrested. You don't want to see them have this uh, around for the rest of life. You don't want to see, you want to see them be able to get, like, a federal job or a state job or become a teacher or something like that. Yeah, and that's the kind honestly, of thing that really held them back. Th- that is why I'm totally fine with the, with the wholesale legalization, because you're not going to hear stories, horror stories of people sent to jail on a, because they have a, a gram too and, much. And, and people will often come up, like, they'll, they'll, they'll come to me and they'll be like, well, you're just against everything because you're a teetotaler. I'm like, that's not the case. It's like, you know, I, I, there's people out there who can smoke marijuana once or twice a week and it doesn't have any problems. It's just that the American marketing machine is so good about creating this desire and demand. And what I'm concerned about is a 19 or 24-year-old who's out there smoking all day, every day, and saying, well, it's okay, it's wellness, and then being a-motivated and having these other issues. And so that's really kind of like the big concern. And then, and the thing of it is, is that we're seeing, and, and it's trickled down to like these teenagers. So I work with all these teenagers in these different places, and I, I, you know, I teach school, I teach college with all these interns that are all these students who are working with adolescents. And I have 30 interns in this one program, and they're working with these teenagers, and so many teenagers with mental, with mental health issues um, who come from traumatic backgrounds, they all look at marijuana as the answer. <coughs> Like more so than counseling, more so than exercise, more more so than increasing their circle of friends. And but this is actually a wholly American problem that I see much more with the Americans than anywhere else around the world. Is that people want to do stuff for their erections, they want to do stuff for their uh, blood pressure, they want to do stuff for their hair, they want to do stuff for their mood, instead of doing some simple behavioral things. And so much of my work is in changing people's behaviors. And so I get really really irritated. People are like, oh, well, I have anxiety. I'm going to take marijuana for it. It's like, yo, there's like seven other things I'd like you to try first. And people are like, well, that's not, that's a lot. Well, it, it, it's funny because the reason I actually stopped smoking pot uh, prior to like quitting drinking and not because of like I gotta stop smoking pot, but mostly because I I ceased enjoying it because the dosages of the, in it had gotten so high that like I, I would take one puff and I'm like had horrible anxiety that just wasn't enjoyable. Um, so yeah, like I, I find that that anyone and I guess everyone people have different physiologies, but the idea of taking it as a Anti-anxiety med it just seems crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think you know the, the with pharmacology. I think most people. I think it's probably true of most people that in enough dosages, something that would increase anxiety, not at least on like a physical level, like feeling in your stomach way. Um, so yeah, that, that's just one example of. And I'd always thought that the like the medical marijuana explosion, like in California, or whatever, it was just these were people kind of knew it was all a laugh, like oh, I have seasonal affective disorder. Well, I, I think for the most part, the, medis- I, the way the way the way the legal legalization of any drug is the first thing you see, you say it's medicinal, and so uh, and then you and then you hold up a group, and so what's the group? You know, do, do you know what the most respected profession in the United States is? When we were kids, it was probably doctors, but doctors have been destroyed now. Um, now it's YouTuber. <laughs> nice. Um, the most respected profession in the United States is military officer, which I don't say because I'm an army officer. I'm, hor- I'm horrified by that because I know a number of horrific officers. Um, but it's something that's uh, that's gained a lot of respect. Teachers have gone down. Nurses have gone down. Nurses are still pretty uh, highly regarded. Um, and um, so the you know the, the push for the push for marijuana though oh, I, fuck, I fucked up here what um it's okay. what was the point of the uh, before I got into the uh, what were we talking before I brought up the um, the this, is, this is getting cut no I know I know you were talking about uh, um, oh budgets and how it hasn't been the uh, 
No, there was something else. There was something else there about the respected. Uh, oh, okay, I got it. You'll 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 figure it out from here. Okay. Um, so what happened? What happened was was that uh, the medical people said. Hold on, Scott. Go like this for three seconds so I can see it. A big push was by having military people who had PTSD say they need marijuana to treat it, and so and because it was like this like really respected group. Um, they were a group that was held up, which is very offensive for me as someone who's treated uh, soldiers for, and Marines for a long, long time, that now they're being exploited as a way to kind of push marijuana. And you saw it with some other things. You saw it with, like, you saw it with uh, military personnel. You saw it with uh, little kids. Uh, they're like, this little kid needs marijuana. It was a big thing here in New Jersey. This little kid may, needs marijuana. Governor Christie's blocking medicinal marijuana. Therefore, our family had to move to Colorado. And then there was actually some instance where they were taking dogs. And, you know, 85% of people are very pro-dogs. And so, like, this dog needs pot. And so, and so they were, uh, you know, and so that was pushed. And that's a way of, and these are ways of kind of manipulating public policy. And so, it, I, so much of the arguments have been, out on both sides, but largely the for-profit me, uh, medical marijuana industry um, have been... You know, very unfair with uh, you know uh, over exaggerating claims about wellness and under exaggerating problems. And part of the and some of the over exaggeration has also been that it was going to bring in like lots and lots and lots and lots of money. Uh, last thing I'll say about the money thing is that um, uh, the price of uh, marijuana in Colorado has gone uh, down seventy percent since the legalization in twenty fourteen. Now this is an issue because originally it was legalized in Colorado uh, partly for medicinal issues, partly for social justice, but also as kind of a tax base. Well, how much taxes can you make off something when the prices drop 70%? Um, and that's a huge, huge thing that New Jersey is facing as well, is that well, how is it going to drive this much revenue if the cost, if the price of it is going down so much? And it's something that people really don't kind of talk about too much. Yeah, it, it, you know how much I was spending on marijuana or, or on edibles or whatever the last eight months or whatever when I was using it regularly? I would buy... A, Eight edibles thing for twenty dollars, maybe every two weeks. You know, and there's people that complain yeah. about that because they can buy it. They can buy it in the legal market. You know, at not a cannabis store uh, for even cheaper. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so it, there's it, no money to be made. There's no there's no money for the state to be made here. Is my point. I, I remember when I remember saying to you before it, it went legal in New Jersey. I was just kind of like, you make a lot of cogent points about it, except the ships already sailed. Correct. Um, I was fighting a losing battle. Yes, uh, whether you know it or not, like I wanted to go down. I wanted to have a record of saying that I said this. So later on, I'm like I told you so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that doesn't mean like, one of my favorite things, by the way. Being like a noble pursuit in front. In and telling people later, like I said, I had a student tell me 15 years ago when I was talking about the opiate epidemic. It was one of my favorite compliments I ever got. She said, "You're like the scientist in a disaster movie that no one listens to." I'm like Cooper and Jaws. Or uh, Brett Spiner, who played Data in Independence Day. We have long hair. No, no, no. That was Goldblum. See marijuana. That was Jeff Goldblum. Oh. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, also Jeff Goldblum in uh, Jurassic Park. So that was Frankie. Uh, Frankie will be back soon. We'll shoot the shit about you know more fun stuff than marijuana policy. And now check out part two with my good friend other friend Frank, Frank Benacci, who was on a couple weeks ago, uh, where we talk about pop culture and shit. Thank you. An interview I just did with director Larry Blameyer, big fan of his. If you ever want to check out Los Skeleton Cadaver, he does these amazing spoofs of 
yeah, it's, I'm a huge fan. Probably because of me. Because I pimped that you movie. You gave it to Chris. I pimped that movie very hard, so it was really like a dream come true <laughs> to like have him on the show. And we were talking about like... That's a great get. Oh, it was great. It's like, uh, it was amazing to like have him on. And we were talking about, you know, he's like of the older set like we are. And we were talking about like why CG effects this feel distancing. And where it's like something like practical. Like, I'll pop more. And maybe you feel maybe you feel differently. Like you go watch Thirty Three King Kong, like don't you feel like ooh when you see that? But when you see like CG dinosaurs, it's just like hmm. Well, the, the the best way I could I could the closest example keeping it with cars to what you just said was the uh, the car scene in Matrix Two, yes, versus the scene I just described in Lethal Weapon Three, where it's like. Uh, CGI agent Smith jumping on like the latest Chrysler model and like crushing them and there's like no weight to everything and you know yeah like obviously like we, we take CGI for granted I'm not saying that you should use no CGI but like particularly with cars or just a lot there's you can't like um there's no substitute for air moving and, and, and yeah, weight. Yeah, they just don't got it. And even, and, like, we've come a long way, like, with effects, where some of it's like, wow. But it still feels like, I don't know, it's just something when you see, like, when you, like, Tom Cruise. Like, I just, like, when you see those Mission Impossible films, which I think are terrific, by the way. Th- those are good. Those are- God bless fucking Tom Cruise. I don't know what's going on in his personal life. Maybe he's crazy. He, maybe he's fine. a closeted gay man. Dude makes good movies and has a wonderful track record. The guy has... The, listen, talk about his insanity all you want, if, or if he's insane, whatever. The guy has Who, a work ethic. The work ethic that nobody on earth has. Like, I just watched the behind-the-scenes doc for his newest film where he does this stunt where he does a motocross, like, jump off a gorge and into a fucking base jump. And it's just like, yeah, we did it seven times. It's like, okay, dude. He's he, anyone who'll say that, even pe- anyone who's ever worked with him, always says this is a guy whose chief purpose in life is to make the best movies he can. Yeah, no, he's got work ethic. He's all about business, and and uh, I appreciate that. Like, and, it, I was rooting for Top Gun at the Oscars, probably because it might have been the only movie I saw, just because that was like a wildly successful movie on every level. Like, just a, such a crowd-pleasing What a surprise that was. Because I was just like, there we go. And I was just like, wow. what? And you had to see it. It's one of those things that made you want to go to the theater. Yeah. I, I'm so glad I saw the theater. Yeah. And, it, it, like, my expectations were high. I just wanted some member berries. That's all I expected. But I walked out. That was a, a better movie than the original. The original is a classic. I think the original is a fun movie. Like, And it's like, I don't think it's a perfect film where it's like, I said, this is on a nuts and bolts level. This movie's way beyond that it goes to show like kind of like i said this about tropic thunder too like i thought tropic thunder should have won the oscar in 2007 or 2008 whatever because i don't i guarantee you out of all the other pictures that were that were nominated or and who even knows who won i guarantee you more people are talking about tropic thunder now 15 20 years later whatever it was do you, do like you... the bias against uh crowd pleasing in, in the oscars like and there's nothing wrong with with uh, people in British accents yes. crying and like being dramatic. That's fine. And I, I love like, some of those movies. I like a good like period piece British movie. I was a fan of the Merchant Ivory movies when those were a thing. I like those. I saw uh, a room with a view. Merchant Ivory these like these uh, British like costume dramas. They from make the classy 80s. costume dramas. Oscar winners. I, I I saw recently a friend of mine, the friend who I'm interviewing next week, demanded 
we all watch, uh, we have this thing when we watch movies, when it's the group of us, we have like nukes. So we'll spend like an hour picking what movies to watch. Uh-huh. And everyone, like you accumulate nukes through various things, but a nuke is like, this is the fucking movie we're watching. Nobody <laughs> can say shit. So you got to be like strategic with them. And there's like, <laughs> there's like alliance. Everyone always calls me North Korea because I'm a wild card. <laughs> um, but one, one time he dropped a nuke and it was fucking Merchant Ivory's A Room with a View with, with Miss Honeychurch and... Those are fine. I, you know the Oscars were on. I had no idea until the next morning, and I'm like, "Why is everybody talking about the Oscars?" Like, I, 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 I haven't paid attention to that, which is weird because I worked in film for so long. It's like I, I haven't paid attention to the Oscars in years. I just don't know what's going. And that's not even like fuck the Oscars. It's like I just don't. People know. don't. Yeah, and let me I tell care. you, I, I'm, I'm, I date a, a working successful drag queen, so mm. by virtue of that, I, I am like kind of aware of gay pop culture in a way that I Pip never was in happened. a drag show. Were you Pip? She was in Love a, she player. played uh she, uh, somebody was doing uh Legally Blonde show and they needed a, a, what's the name of the dog in Legally Blonde? Whatever. So uh-huh. we used, so they asked to use Pip and Pip it was very good, wasn't she? Good job. Um, but, Oscar? I don't know. Th- no, no one's really talking about the Oscars. Like, it, it's just so like, now it's something you just watch the relevant clips. Ooh, this is a, speaking of the Oscars. Love, love, love that short round. Oh, had that's a amazing. I, I, that's just it's such a same with Brendan Fraser too, but more for short round, just because like short round. Uh, the, the guy who just won the Oscar, K. Hoi Kwan, I probably pronounced it wrong. You want a best job than I would have. He, uh, when we were kids, he he was short basically round. played the same role in two very classic movies: Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Data, and in, in, in Goonies, not not the android from Star Trek. Um, another data. Um, he was great in both those movies, and I've not half jokingly, but not really said like, short round was kind of an Oscar snub. Just going back to my like, because he is so magnificent and funny, and really makes that movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Which is weird because like you say, oh, they put a cute kid, and that should sink like the movie. But he's I no, really he's, he's legitimately round. funny. No time for love, Doctor Jones. The cans on his feet when he's driving. I don't know. Yeah, just, that, that was a kid like who obviously had it, whatever it is. Like that's someone, and then you never saw him again. Yeah, which I find it's curious because is he from is he uh, from Hong Kong? I don't. It's I don't know like his whole like backstory. But, but regardless, regardless, like the, the 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 East Asian film market is robust. You would think this guy would be working constantly his whole life, if not if if he weren't working here. But in any case, it, it's it's so wonderful that. Um, he blew that, uh, up. Yeah, that was that was really and all those pictures like when you saw like pictures with him and Harrison Ford with the Oscar in his hand. That was like such a lovely. Dude, moment. how do you not roll a fucking yeah, tear yeah, yeah. if you watched him? Like you know, these are two movies that were like seminal movies for like kids our age. Yeah, like that. Uh, Richard Donner Goonies. Goonies. I just wa- I made my wife watch Goonies for the first time. She had never. How much? Seen... How much younger is she than you? Ten, ten years ago. Okay, so you get the the whole. I, I get that with a, someone who's twenty years younger than me. Oh, here's. <laughs> I am going to force you to watch shit that I like. Right, and like sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. Goonies, I don't think stuck. I think you had, it's one of those movies you had to be there. It's it, very much of its time, and not that doesn't mean it's dated, but like that particular genre of like kids on a quest like that, done with high production. What are other ones like that? It's uh, the quintessential kids on bikes movie, like which just got the <laughs> yeah, research. That's why I made her watch it because she's uh, uh, she loves the Stranger Things. 
and uh, and that's all riffing yeah, on like, that kind you of like Stranger Things. We'll get a load of this. This is the real shit. No, it wasn't <laughs> even like that. It's just like oh, this is kind of like where they're inspired by. So maybe watch it. And it, I was really I wanted to just show her the Cindy Lauper music video, which is like ten minutes long. So, so that was what I really wanted to show her. But I said oh, I guess we we'll watch the movie too. I have an anecdote about that song. It's called Good Enough. Yes. Good enough. Da ba da. Good enough. When I was a nine year old kid or whatever, I thought the lyrics were Goonie Love. Let me tell you about goody love, goody love for me. I can see, I'm trying to think, I have a bunch of songs where they were like marketed with a movie, so I just thought they were saying the title. That's a thing that I have, I can't think of offhand right now, but I've definitely done that, but not for that movie. My other big one, and I remember I'm a huge Beatles fan since I was like three years old. Huge Beatles fan. Mm. I thought the lyrics to the Beatles' Twist and Shout, which is, shake it up baby now, shake it up baby. I thought it was, Shaking a baby now, shaking a baby. And I didn't know to Matthew Epen. I didn't know that's an old poll. I didn't know that that weren't the lyrics till there was some scandal about some British nanny shaking a baby. Matthew Epen. That was Matthew Epen, right. And I was like, oh, wait, no, it's shake it up, baby. It was like, Uh, I I was like 22. And it was like, oh, uh, I'm sorry I'm making a Matthew Epen joke. No, no, thank you. You you were like spot on with with the. the Let's make fun of Adam Walsh next. Who's that? That's uh, John Walsh's kid who was uh, decapitated. You remember like John Walsh from uh, American... Uh, American yes, Aquanet? yes, yes. How that he was got the, started. That's why he did the show. Because his son was say, killed. And, gotcha. I'm not making actually making a joke about How that. about John Landis and uh, Twilight Zone? Speaking <laughs> of Twilight Zone. You know, it's funny. We haven't gotten to the movie yet. And we're all like, how are we going to discuss that? Like, it's just weird. Because like, we, we're up to... Like, we're only on the first season of the show still. But we do want to talk about the movie. That movie's pretty good. I love the movie. I do. I think there's... Uh, I mean, look, you have three... For those who don't know, the director, director, John Lannis, who was a huge deal, directed... Uh, Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. Michael Jackson's Thriller music video, which was a bigger deal at the time than it is now. He's a big time... He's like the the director guy who's not George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. Yeah. On the set of his movie, The Twilight Zone, what happened? So he had one of his segments starred Vic Morrow... And there was a set. There was a scene where he's carrying two Vietnamese children to safety. Uh, it was a time travel thing where he gets sucked into different. Uh, he's in conflicts. the Vietnam War. Yeah, so he's in the Vietnam War. They shot it on a stage, and they had a helicopter over him, and that the shot was an, an actual helicopter inside a stage. And I don't know exactly. Well, what happens is that the helicopter, uh, the pilot, there was some kind of pilot error where the helicopter basically the blades of the helicopter landed on them (laughs) the helicopter blades basically decapitated him and the kids um they there was a trial over because according to he was saying get the helicopter lower and get the helicopter lower even against the pilot's wishes there was a pilot that objected to it and they fired that person and got a new pilot who was more agreeable so it's kind of like he killed the motherfucker. Oh, I was just reminded about for two things. It was a lot like the the uh, the accident that just happened to Alec Baldwin. Same type of thing. Movie set gone wrong. Which then reminds me of The Crow with Brandon Lee who died from blanks. But then reminds me of movies that you saw once that stuck with you. And you might be the only person I know who the words Big Trouble and Little Tokyo mean anything to you. Big Okay, Big with Trouble Dolph Lundgren and, and, and uh, Jason Scott Lee. Brandon Lee. Brand- oh, Jesus Christ, who's Jason Scott Lee? I don't oh, know. he's the guy who played him in... He played Bruce Lee in the movie Dragon. Sorry. Um, that movie, Big Trouble in Little Tokyo, I watched a... It's a lot of fun. It's very watchable, and you watch it, and you're like, oh, Brandon Lee's got the chops to be 
not only a leading man in martial art films, but a comedic sidekick. He's very handsome. He could have been in rom-coms. That, that could, it's, a, it's a shame he died, but that's like a, a low-budget movie that was shockingly well-made. Yeah, no, it's, it's, well, it's well done, that movie. Um, but that's a movie I saw once at three in the morning on, on but Showtime 2 that, that stuck with me. And I, I ran into a documentary on it. Recently, seek out that movie if you want to watch a well-made movie that had no impact on <laughs> society and whatsoever. <laughs> what I wondered, watching the thing about it, this was it was like maybe 1992 that came out. Which one, I, The Crow? No, uh, Big Trouble in Little Big, Tokyo. And Dolph Lundgren speaks with a seemingly perfect American accent in it. And I had read that they had to dub him in earlier movies because he spoke no English, or maybe it's because Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren, I've been Drago from Rocky, big, big blonde uh, tower. Of muscle man, also like handsome. You know, man. he went to MIT. Yeah, he's like a genius. Yeah, he's like a certified genius. Like he's a like a legitimate working scientist as well as action star. But I was like, oh, maybe he's just like a super genius polymath that he just picked up fluent English in four years. Because you wouldn't you you wouldn't know watching the film Big Trouble in Little Tokyo that he wasn't a native English speaker. Well, you certainly wouldn't know that. You maybe you might think he was like from Scotland and putting an accent. You certainly wouldn't know he was. Like Sean Connery Named and everything. Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> I'm name is Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. My my favorite moment ever is <clears throat> in Highlander, when uh, what, what's his name Christopher Lambert, mm-hmm. a Frenchman, is playing a Scotsman, talking to Sean Connery, a Scotsman playing a Frenchman. Yes, a uh, Spaniard actually. A Spaniard. Spaniard. That's what I meant. Okay. It's very strange, and it's like he sounds as French as anybody's ever sounded. Christopher, Christopher Lambert. Lambert. <laughs> He's a guy who disappeared. The only time, last time I, I saw gotta him, put a picture of him up because like people will know who he's he like. What is that? It's like oh, that guy. Were you into the Highlander movies? I we just discussed that too. Uh, it's a series that never quite did it. It's, Me neither. Never, never quite captured my imagination. It's almost. It's got all the ingredients. They just didn't know what to do with it. I never felt like they, they ever unlocked its potential. That's why when they say they remake that, I'm like, you know what? Somebody should sure, take a shot of it's that. It's a good premise. I think it's There a could good be premise. only one Highlander. Let it be Duncan McCloud. I mean, if that doesn't get you interested, I don't know what will. And Clancy Brown is the Kurgan is fucking amazing in the first movie. Uh, and Sean Connery. You have Sean Connery. But there were people who liked it enough that they watched the fucking... USA TV series. I have a friend who loves that show. I'm like, how could you really? Like he quotes it. It's like, are you? Fu-? It's like really? That's, he quotes it as if that's like the it's something one, huh? you should know. That's the one that captured you, huh? What are your talks? Let's uh, let's get let's get real here. <laughs> okay. Let's talk Monty Python. All right. Uh, I know you're a bigger fan, and I like Monty Python. Sure. It's funny, but what's more annoying than Monty Python nerds quoting Monty Python? It's really bad. You know what? It's one of those. I, maybe maybe Monty Python fanatism and autism go hand in hand because it I didn't want to drop the A word. It, it, no, I I can't. And but, hey, anyone wants to cancel me? I have a younger sister no, who's listen. who's low functioning autistic, uh, is nonverbal in her thirties, so I'm I'm familiar and sensitive to issues of neurodivergence. Shut up. Go on. Yeah. No, and it's funny, and it's it's one of those things that I wound up doing a lot too. Till somebody actually had to say, all right. Where it's just like enough doing that. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's one of those things you don't do. Yeah, just don't do it. It's one, yeah, it's, it's one. It is, in fairness, it is incredibly quotable. It is, and it's really funny. It's very funny. Mr. Show was actually it, took over that for me for a little while. If anybody wants to find that, it's all on YouTube. Bob Odenkirk and David uh, Cross. David Cross, very, 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 very funny. 
Um, Better Call Saul guy. Yeah, that guy. That reminds me of, of speaking about being the way being a nerd and like being into this shit. Uh, we're not into all the same stuff, but we have pretty convergent yeah. pop culture interests and in, in nerd stuff. I remember when I met uh, my two best friends, who you know well. Um, I had a Dungeons and Dragons book, and one of the friends. This is when we met in the beginning of ninth grade. I had a Dungeons and Dragons like monster manual or whatever. Mm. One of my friends walks over. Is that D and D? I love D and D. So there's an, then the two of us are sitting there like geeking out over D and D on the bus on the way to like some sleepaway getaway for freshmen. Then this other kid, the large hulking one, walks up. And he's like, "No, you can't let people see you're into that. That's that's the worst thing ever." In like in retrospect, it's like, would they need to see us with D and D books? You know, we're like awkward fucking nerds. But fine. <laughs> it, it, my, my point How is, how many more red flags do you <laughs> right. need? Um, my, my, my point is though, it was something that you'd want to like, if you had any interest in like having a social life or like being popular or whatever, you'd want to like keep it a little bit on the down low, as they say. Masking, we call it. (laughs) Masking. For autism awareness, please go to (laughs) autism.org. Um, and then like circa 2011, now it's like geek is in, the jocks took it over. And someone, speaking of Ma- of John Landis, his son, Max Landis, who was canceled for some reason, even though I like his work as a general rule and I like him as a personality, he made the great point that the reason superhero movies and geek culture in general is, like, mainstream now is because prior to 2011, let's keep it with superheroes, superheroes appealed to nerdy boys who felt powerless. And it was like this this power power fantasy. Yeah. Shazam being the... The essential distillation of that. Twelve-year-old boy turns into a superhero. But at around 2011, that is when social media, as we know it, had taken hold, and all of a sudden, everybody in the world feels envious and powerless. Just from whether you're looking at Instagram influencers with their perfect lives, and like, and like, oh, my, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's true, but there's enough meat on that bone that it's like maybe because it's weird. I, I. I was never the biggest comic book person, but I had good function, like most things. Like I had good, like Star, like like Star, Star Trek. Trek, right. But, so I wouldn't say I was a comic nerd, but it was amazing how many people who I grew up with when Marvel things started taking hold was like, oh, I was such a comic book nerd. It's like, no, you, you fucking out, weren't. You were out fucking crushing puss. I was there, man. And, and, and you actually made a movie about this. Like, this was yeah. our thing. Right. Um, I, I don't feel for it's funny yeah there's a movie about I, I, like how people were how like it was a, me speculating like how would that feel to people like when all these people these interlopers came in and take took over it's your like scene. when a band like an indie band you're into all of a sudden they make it big and you feel like something's been taken away from it. and right. we, we're both mature enough adults to to understand that that's very selfish and not see a healthy way to think yeah <laughs> um, yeah see his movie it's called uh, Welcome, to, Welcome the to the Future you can watch it on YouTube it's Shot at Comic Con, it's a cool movie, um, <clears throat> but like there is like still that like that thing, and it's like well, what do and you you mentioned this in the movies like well, what do what do people like that have now? And you know like we grew up as nerds, but we're you know like we're we're decent looking dudes who get laid in adulthood. Mm. Um, but there's some <laughs> people like you know, well they, that's all they got. That's all they got, and, that, and now what do they have? And it's like you know, it's just sad. Yeah, I wish I had like a pithy joke to. <laughs> to, to punctuate this. Well, that, the movie was based on a guy, uh, like my, the main character, the character I play in the film, was based on a guy who literally looked like a physical, like a like a live action version of the comic book guy from uh, Simpsons. 
and who that that the that guy's likeness is wasn't plucked from air. There's people who look that's, like no, that. it's like he's a it's he's a trope essentially. Yeah, yeah, like a real life trope. Like didn't. <laughs> so I just and we were online to get tickets, and I was just you know talking to like. It was funny, like how girls took over the comic con scene, like and I, with I, like, the cosplay stuff. Yeah, it just became like it was like it was like a very uh, no girls allowed type scene, and then it and, kind of changed into that. And, and not was, even because like not even like no girls allowed, it's because like girls just weren't interested yeah. for the most part. There, there of course were exceptions. Yeah, like, of course, I know. If, I know. I had friends with a few people who were like exceptions who like grew up being like that. But it's funny, and like this guy was. It, just it wasn't so much like yeah. There's some misogyny tied into all that but it was more like not that we hate girls it's like girls hate us right was, was the attitude <laughs> but uh he was just and he it was really like a weird scene where he was just kind of just bitching the whole time like how this wasn't his anymore and it was just like okay dude and it's just like you guys don't even read comics and you're here and it was like getting contentious it was like really weird and like he was genuinely mad that like because we're none of us like we're comic people like i've read my favorite comics like like, I read the Alan Moore Swamp things and, like, all the right. things that like Transmetropolitan I read and stuff like that. But I wouldn't say, like, I wouldn't know. I don't know Silver Age from Golden Age or, like, anything. You don't? Like I kind of do. It's just I'll like, put a little infographic with the yeah, difference. I don't know what it's of. really just about years. Yeah. So, it's just funny. Golden Age is the 40s. Silver Age is 60s. Okay. Bronze Age is the 70s. Modern Age begins with Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, okay. Well, now I know that. And we're still in the modern age even though, like, no one reads comics anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> it's the attitude era of comics. <laughs> uh, did I catch you up no I don't know what I was going with I think I was done okay. with that whole point no the guy the guy was just really weird and upset and like I said oh that's a movie right there and that was it that's how the movie started thank you yeah <laughs> it, it's like what what is there for now even like going forward what is there for the even the 12 year old version of me now or the 12 year old version of what what would what's like the nerdy shit that's like it seems I don't know like it's an embarrassment of riches. I mean, really, because it's just what uh, there's so many weird subcultures that have gone around, like any kind of fandom. That I mean, it's just uh, yeah. What's like obscure now? I guess you have to like go like to like 18th century literature to be a nerd now. <laughs> or it's like, this weird phenomenon I notice these days. Where like now, like I see it a lot on TikTok because I lift weights. I'll get a lot of fitness content. Yeah. And a lot of these guys make a fitness content, like they're like these jockey dudes, but also like quoting Marcus Aurelius and shit. So it's like the jocks are into like stoicism, which is a <laughs> a Greek, uh, a Greco-Roman philosophy, <laughs> and and the nerds are talking about like pop culture. It's just it's upside down world. The the the, the truth is, I'm just old and I don't get it. It's very strange. It's the the weirdest moment for me was. I'll never forget seeing uh, was Cap- the first Captain America, where I realized not, not Col- the 1991 with with J D. Salinger's son. No, <laughs> not that one. The Chris Evans one, uh, directed by Albert Pyun, who we just lost recently. Uh-huh. Uh, Prayers up for Albert Pyun. Yeah, very nice dude. I was friends with him on Facebook. He was a really good dude. Oh, cool. Uh, so, but uh, and they showed the teaser for Avengers, and I remember that. And here's the thing, I somebody like it was. I saw it in Staten Island, in like heavy Italian part of Staten Island, and it was the Staten Island group- Mall or just up there. Uh, close by the atrium. Okay. And uh, there was these two, like a bunch of guidettes, for, for lack of a better term, a bunch of guidettes <laughs> just sitting in front of us, and they're like, and, and then first of all, they knew to stay for the post credit scene, which was just amazing that that Pavlovian response they somehow put into people, like the like the general public, which is amazing. Let me just quick sidebar. Can we end that? 
I, hate, I don't having like to sit there for fucking eight minutes. I got to pay. Looking at the gaffer. I'll just, just put it on YouTube. For Christ's sake. It, it used to be fun. Now it's just, it's stupid. Especially when it's like a joke. When it's like, yeah, we, I wait eight minutes for, for them ah, eating a gotcha. sandwich. It's like, come on. I, right. I like the one where they do the mini credits and they have a thing. Okay, here's the teaser for the next film. Get, get, get me, me out, of out of there. Yeah, yeah, done. I got done. I know I work in film. I'm not supposed to say this, but I can't sit through the credits. It's just, a, it's like, especially when you get to the effects, like big budget effects stuff, it's going to be eight yeah, minutes yeah. of like a bunch Co- of people Korean from Korea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I don't need that. I can't, I, I don't, I, I'm glad they and got a job. I think there I should go. be credits. If I knew someone or was part of the film, I'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm there. So I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm just saying don't put a fucking scene at the end. I don't even stay for credits. I'm in. That's the fun. That's how, that's how I kind of am. It's just like, it's like I, you worked on the movie. It's like, yeah, I got to go to the bathroom. I mean, you could look it up online. Yeah. I know. Just see, like, I know. I was a screenshot in it. of it. <laughs> I know I worked on it. Jesus Christ. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, so these Guidettes was just sitting in front of us and they were just like, I can't wait to see Thanos. It was just like weird. I'm like, yeah, that, what happened? That that was like the weird thing. It was, I remember after I saw uh, Age of Ultron, I took my mom to see it. Like my mom, God rest her soul, even like watched all the Marvel movies or like yeah. enough of them. Like enough, like when an Avengers movies come out, like, oh, got to see that. I don't think she watched like Ant-Man too, but you know what I mean? She yeah. was, I remember driving driving her home from Age of Ultron and she's like asking me questions about the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And I was like, I never thought I'd live in a world where Scarlet Witch, and I was an Avengers kid. Avengers weren't cool when you were a comic nerd in the 80s all about Spider-Man and X-Men. Avengers were considered kind of lame. I was an Avengers kid. Don't ask me. I also read that other stuff like Spider-Man and X-Men. But um, it was just like never, it still happened to an extent, gotten used to a fact where like a world where Thanos, we're, we're like hot chicks. We're like, Thanos is so bae or, or whatever. Right. It's just weird. It's just like, that's neat though. I mean, I, I guess and, that's neat. And I, what's wrong with that? Like, I'm the more the merrier type of person. I, I'm like, my weird thing is like my weird nerdy well, obsession hold on. is cult films. When you say I'm a more the merrier, that's like the healthy way to be about it that you know is how it should be. And it's true, but there is part of you. I'm there not, is a part of you. There's no part of you that's gatekeepy. Well, see, the comics... I don't have that. Right, okay, so okay. I don't care, but like... Obscure horror films. I'm an obscure movie okay. kind of buff. When hot chicks start talking about like... Well, I, I can't get Dario anybody to watch this shit. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, I can finally have somebody to talk about. Like, I'm always... A, if you like, you know me for a while, I'd always travel with movies. Like, we're watching this. And I'd always... I'm like a big curating... If somebody comes to my house, they have to like watch what I curate for them. And it's just like, I... And it's like, that never really gets traction, like the weird cult stuff, except for The Room. Which is weird. I had that convers- I had a conversation about that recently about the room. Like that sort of crossed over into the mainstream. The mainstream watch it. I've never. That's something we don't share. Uh, you and our friend Chris had this. Like, let's watch this terrible, terribly, poorly made movie and laugh at it. It just was like, why? Why are we watching Computer Beach Party? Like, we have nothing better to do with an hour and a half. And I realize I'm kind of in the minority because uh, Red Letter Media, who, whom we're both huge fans of, their biggest show is them doing That's the that. Worst, yeah, right. Which I'm a like I'm a psycho fan. I actually speaking of Computer Beach Party, they used my copy of Computer Beach Party. Did that they? I sent them? I was I actually Clark started texting me. I'm like so, so I impressed. Sent, like I'm, like I'm star fucking. Well, I hope it's mine because who knows if somebody else sent it to him. I don't think they did because that thing goes for like uh, at the time I bought it, it was like fifty bucks to buy that fucking tape for, for the computer beach party. I actually had a copy Dedication. for a dollar. 
So I, I bought it because I really wanted them to talk about Computer Beach Party. They didn't like it that much, but it was just like... It, it was on Best of the Worst. It was. I was like... I'm going to go back and, and find that episode. I kept waiting, and it was like years after I sent it to them, they finally pulled out Computer Beach Party. I'm like, that's the fucking one I sent them! And like Clark texted me, he's like, dude, they're, they're using Computer Beach Party! Do you know what one of my, like, one of my goals as a wannabe famous person is? Mm. I, I want to be... When it, sometimes I'll have a guest on Best of the Worst. I, oh, I, I, I so be that want guy. that. I, I want to be that guy to Mo- so bad. I want to fly out to Milwaukee and talk about oh. Star Trek with Mike and Rich. Oh, and you especially because you're a fuck. They are TNG psychopath. Yeah, like it's like I watch Best of the Worst probably the way you watch Mike and Rich talk about Star Trek shows. Or do you not watch those? I don't... Because I, a lot of people don't watch Star Trek just like watching Mike and Rich talk about Star Trek. I haven't I caught up with it, but yeah, I, I haven't caught up to this season of Picard because I love how well, they the, the ones eviscerated, the, the, eviscerated the other seasons. The TNG ones are, are really good. Oh, I haven't watched the TNG ones. But, but I'm they sure just they're, talk about like their five favorite episodes. It might make you want to watch the show. I've, I've watched a few of them. I've watched the, the one, The Inner Life. Where, where's the one? The Inner Life. In a light. That's a, that's like a classic. I've seen that Everyone one. says I've that's the best board, episode. I've seen the best of both worlds. Have you I've seen, seen Darmok? No. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Shaka. <laughs> when the walls fell. <laughs> let me let me give you the, the plot synopsis. I have to Google. There's a joke about Star Trek in my movie. I have to Google it. Because I'm like, what's a good joke? And I'm like, okay, Dominion War. I made notes of that. Deep like, Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Deep Space Nine invented episodic television. Excuse me. Long form storytelling uh, kind of like four or five years before The Sopranos came out and that became the norm and they fell ass backwards into it because it took place on a space station and you couldn't like it's not a ship going to a new planet with a new problem right. every week so they just kind of fell ass backwards into well what else are we going to do we're in the same place every week so it was this whole thing the Dominion War but let me tell you about Darmok <clears throat> classic TNG episode so you know Star Trek they have the universal translators yes which is how aliens can speak to each other immediately and understand each other mm-hmm. they meet a race that only speaks in metaphor. So the words are translated, but they don't know what it means. And it's like, so they meet this race. It's like, hi, I'm Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation of Planets. They're like, Darmak and Jalad at Tanagra. Hi, please identify yourself. Shaka, his eyes wide open. And so it, it's them learning to communicate uh, with each other. They get, the, the two captains get stuck on a plan together. They have to like learn to communicate with each other. And the way Deanna Troy the empath who's really just a like you know first year psychologist uh <laughs> it's her function oh, on the okay. show love deanna no hate um but she explains it as like it is this it's as if i spoke to you and said romeo and juliet on the balcony and that's the whole language like wilford brimley with courtney cox <laughs> at the pool and that that's like how the language works it's like very very a tier super dirty sci-fi and I'll probably cut this part out, but you should watch that. That's episode. fine. <laughs> you introduced me uh, in a roundabout way because you introduced it to Clark, and then who then introduced you went from God Jerry to me. It was uh, you introduced us to Buffy. To, I did, and uh, the, the reason I got into and like we were Buffy fans. We're sorry that Josh Will Whedon is a horrible. That's person. where I wanted to go with that. Was like, can you be, like? That's boy, weird. It's weird because it's like, oh, I love Buffy. He's like, oh no, he's a monster. And like, I, I'm I'm someone who's able to like separate the art from the artist, but it feels weird watching what I thought was this like uh, important feminist show, and it turns out that it's the, just some weird. Uh, the maker was like a fantasy for was, some creep. It was like a creepy predator. It's like ew. 
but that said, like that show was amazing. It yeah, really it is. was. And Angel too. I, 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 Angel was great. I like it more and more as time passes. But um, the funny he's like the trope of they say like the out so often the outspoken male feminist turns out to be a creep, and it's like, well, if yeah. you need a exemplar of that. I mean, holy shit. I mean, Cut he, that part out. I'm going to get canceled for that. Jesus. No, he really was, though. He really was that guy. Yeah, like, that, that's a stereotype, and, and that's a living embodiment of that stereotype. I mean, he was like who I always pointed to as a feminist. Like, it was like, look at Joss Whedon. He's a feminist. He was like, there, like there's these speeches he gave at like some women's forum, which were like so rousing and, and so yeah. great. And then it's, <laughs> it's like Josh, Josh Whedon, Josh Whedon 11 years ago, 4 million views, and it was like pages and pages on. YouTube of comics, and then you, you scroll down to the end, and it's like the last year, it's like what a monster. Whatever. But it was just funny because it was just like he'd say all, like he'd say those things, and then he did that interview where he's trying to vindicate himself, and he's just like, well, and he I came like, off even worse. <laughs> yeah. like, well, I like breaking their spirit because it makes me feel good about myself. What doesn't anybody understand about this? And it's then, like, dude, shut the fuck up. And like, <laughs> we think very differently about Zack Snyder. We could have done a whole podcast oh, of us coming to Jesus over Zack Snyder. But the stuff that happened on that movie, what a fucking monster. The way he treated Ray Fisher and the way he's like, oh, holy for Gal, Gal Gadot, he's like, oh, she doesn't speak English well. She, she misunderstood. It's, and that's the thing. It's just like, Okay, how do you... Somebody says you were horrible to them. How do you answer? She doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. She can't even speak English that's yeah. broad. It's like, it's not supposed to make it better. Like, what? I met him at a con once. Did you? I was wearing a Wolferman Hart t-shirt. Mm. And it was actually a little awkward thing. And times were different, and I said something which would be considered offensive today. <clears throat> I said to him, I'm like, oh, I'm meeting you while I'm wearing this super gay t-shirt. And I meant that I meant gay the, the, when we were young. How ironic. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Public bisexual. But I meant gay the way we use it wrongly. Yes. Like gay isn't like, that's lame. And you know, that's that's not right. I'm not, not endorsing that. But this was 2000. Yes, you are. <laughs> this is 2004. And that's what I said. And he like, gave me this look like. Mm. So yeah, that was my, my most awkward experience with a. With celebrity. Ooh, let's let's trade meeting celebrity stories. What's an awkward? I have one? a Mark Wahlberg story that's amazing, but I can't tell it here. Uh, mine are very... Have you heard the Mark Wahlberg story? No, I've never heard the Mark. I want to hear the Mark Wahlberg. Uh, you, I'll tell you off camera. Great fucking story. I've never met. Great guy. Great story. Can't tell you. Most <laughs> of my meetings were at cons, so like I. I didn't, all... Hold on, I didn't just meet Mark Wahlberg. Jesse and I. Hung out with his entire crew oh, for a wild night in Vancouver. Okay, <laughs> that's a, a, a oh, so definitely this would be fair because I'm imagining a lot of debauchery. Do, do the math, right? Yeah, Stephanie was there too, uh, so she oh, can poor thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you get it would be a cool Rashomon to have all three of us tell that story. <laughs> <clears throat> Rashomon's a movie from yeah. <laughs> Japan. Rashomon, for those who know, is a classic Japanese movie. Uh, mm. What else? Uh, yeah, celebrity stories. I, I always met them in college. I can tell you who my favorite celebrities to meet at conventions yeah, were. Yeah, by trading celebrity stories, I mean, give me a good one. I've worked with, it's funny, I work with Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, What's he like? It's fine. He was a very, very, uh, about work. I worked with a uh, show from Weeds. What's her name? Uh, you know she looks about. like my sister. What's her name? Um, beautiful brunette. Beautiful brunette. Yeah, very sweet. <clears throat> she was very sweet. Uh, 
liked Weeds. It lasted, it wore out its welcome, but it had some some good television in there. I, yeah, I never really watched it. It's a, an agreeable half hour. Those are the people I worked with. Sitcom. My biggest, most awkward one was meeting okay John Glover, who played Lionel Luther on Smallville, but he, I know him as Daniel Clamp in Gremlins Two. <laughs> Great movie. Great movie. Great movie. And uh, he I, he showed up to set, and I just completely dropped any professionalism whatsoever and I'm like you were Daniel Clem and I completely just spazzed out at this guy and he was like he was very sweet though because he knew I was a fan after that and he would kind of break my balls like he'd come up to me during lunch hi how are you and I'd totally get starstruck I'd be like uh, if you ever watch Community when Lavar uh, Burton showed up anyway Julia LaForge <laughs> right chief engineer of the Enterprise D um <clears throat> See, I, I would think that he remembers that story fondly, and you remember it as awkwardly. Because everyone loves hearing how great they are. Yeah, I mean, I just basically said how I'm a huge fan of your work, and I was... I even brought up, he's like, and you're seen in RoboCop 2. He's like, I was in RoboCop 2? He had no idea that he was in the opening scene of RoboCop 2. He's like, oh yeah, I worked a day on that, yeah. And it's funny, it's like a movie that I've watched a million times, but it's like, yeah, for him it was like a day he worked on a, a film for like 30-something like years. Yeah, it's got... I posted that on Twitter, and it was actually a very popular tweet, Excellent. for me at least. What's, what's your Twitter? At uh, WTTFmovie.com. At, uh, at I, I keep saying .com, because I'm so old that I don't understand <laughs> that you don't... It's at WTTFmovie. HTTP colon <laughs> backslash backslash. <laughs> That's a dial-up modem sound. I met Paul McCartney, and it could have been awkward. Wow. This could have gone... I didn't like... I, I, I met Yoko. I, really? Yeah. Tell me Yoko after yeah. I tell you Paul, because uh, I'm interested in that in a big way. Um, I was sitting, this wasn't like I met him at a party or something. I met, uh, oh, I have, now I'm remembering another story, but Paul McCartney. Um, I was sitting in a parked car on like 89th, right in front of Madison Avenue. Uh-huh. Maybe lower than that. It was like real nice Madison Avenue, probably the East 70s. So I'm sitting there and the, the corner of my eye, I see what looks like a rock star and his girlfriend walking by. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like from behind, mm -hmm. like the, the tall, slender, long hair and like the, the rock, like the Paul McCartney hairdo. I was like, is that Paul McCartney? And Obla D Obla Da was playing on my iPod in the car at the time, which is, this is true. I'm a huge McCartney guy, huge Beatles fan. So I'm like, is that Paul McCartney? My friend's like, I don't fucking know. So I, I like <laughs> get out of the car and I run around the corner and it, he's like two blocks away this part. I'm like sprinting and I'm like 30 feet away and I'm like... Mr. McCartney, Mr. McCartney. And he's like, what the fuck? He's like, hey. And his girlfriend's like, what's going on? And I'm like, ah. I run up to him. And like, he should be nervous. I'm, you know. Yeah, you're a, you're a, weird a, dude. a sweaty, agitated man. Yeah, yeah. Just running at him. Like, you're my favorite Beatle. Thank you for all, for all, all the music. And uh, please say, please play Mrs. Vanderbilt at your next tour. It's a wing song. I thought he'd like to hear that. I'm like, oh, love wings. Oh, okay. And he's like, but no, that's exactly what he was like. It was like meeting Paul McCartney from like, 1964 is a hard day's night. He's like, oh, thank you, mate. What's your name? I'm like, my name's Nat. Well, that's wonderful. And I'm like, thanks, Paul. And then, like, I ran away. He, like, he didn't have to. He could have been like, yo, what the fuck, weirdo? I'm with my girlfriend. But he, like, gave me a nice 20 seconds. And and I've heard stories of people who've met him and he was a dick. And it's like, you got to understand it. And I have some more insight to this than I used to. Because people do from time to time. It happened at the deli just before. Mm. Will recognize me. It's like, hey, love your TikToks or whatever. I'm like, oh, thanks. Um, but what if you catch someone on a bad fucking day 
or like they just got news that their mom got diagnosed with can't like and like I'm always sympathetic to that because it's just like I always because I work on sets and I and actors like always get shit for like oh he's behaving badly it's like he's just like they're working else. they're under pressure yeah, right and I get that it's and just, it's like so you get judged especially now with the internet like you're in a bad mood where or just you were having a great day and like you took it out on somebody. And then all of a sudden, like, it gets out into the world that you're And it's weird that they judge more harshly than anybody else on set. Because it's just like, oh, this guy's being an asshole that day. It's like, I could tell you on certain days, I was the biggest asshole on set. But nobody cares because I was just like, you know, like, yeah, like second, second, you know, uh, grip. You know, like... Like, I'm sure, like, the so, but assistant just, director has his bad days. Right, but nobody cares. But it's just like, I work with an act, a few actors. Like, oh, look what an asshole he's being. It's like, well, first of all... It was like a bad set, so it was perfectly understandable he'd be in a shit mood. For for whatever reason, people don't like performers, and I'm projecting a little bit here. They don't seem they don't like to hear them complain about anything. And like, listen, I'm on the internet. I'm in a queer age gap relationship, and people are gonna have a problem with that. I understand it. I have a problem. Thank you, thank you for thank you for for having the temerity and and <laughs> and, and, and the strength to say that to my face. Unlike unlike the clowns of the internet. Um, but it's like, listen, that's part of the deal. I don't always like it, and sometimes like it gets to me. And like, if I complain about it, or like, oh, it sucks when, when people say this. It, it hurts my feelings, or it makes me feel a certain way. People are like, well, you chose to be on the internet. It's like, no kidding. I'm allowed to say, like, yes, I understand. First of all, I've been on the internet since, like, 1999. Like, people being terrible on the internet didn't, like, Gen Z didn't invent that. Sorry. But it's like, God forbid I complain about something about attached to what I do. It's like when someone works at a grocery store and, and, and like, there's like, Oh, I don't like having to stock eggs after the, whatever comes in. No one goes, well, you're the one who chose to work at a grocery <laughs> store. So, you know, you got to expect that. Being it's on like, the internet's not a burning house. I'm not walking into a burning house. It's like, well, you chose to walk into a burning house. <laughs> right, it's right. like, no, it's just like, I 